0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 563 of So You Want To Be A Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I have been busy putting the finishing touches on our new course. It's called Your Audiobook Advantage which has been created by audiobook producer and narrator Sarah Bacala I love this course because it's so useful and so practical, and it's ideal for anyone who wants to understand the audiobook landscape and the opportunities that there are for writers, you know, just ready for the picking, right? Now, you might think, well, you know, won't my publisher organise my audiobook? Well, it depends on your arrangement with your publisher and, of course, whether they have your audio rights. For indie authors, I mean, this course is a must because it's another revenue stream for your story, right, in addition to your printed or your Kindle book. And for established authors, it's actually becoming increasingly relevant because, well, a lot of established authors now have got the audio rights back for many of their books on their backlist. They've reverted back to them. So if their publishers aren't putting the audiobook out there, uh, they are, which is great. And it's not hard to get into the audiobook space with your story. But of course, you do have to understand the steps to turn your story into an audiobook. So this course is going to launch only in a couple of weeks. So do register your interest because then you'll receive notification of a special launch price, which will only be available at launch. And it will never be at that low a price ever again. So do find out more and register to be notified over at writerscentercomau slash audiobooks. That's plural. That's writercenter.com. I have a little surprise for you this week. I actually have a special guest. Now, Nat Newman is one of our tutors here, our creative writing tutors at the Australian Writers' Centre, and she's always a, you know, a font of information. Not only is she an excellent writer, she's won prizes and written novels and novellas, she's also a fantastic um technologist. Well, you know, she's not afraid of technology. So I love the fact that I always learn some great tips from her about different writing apps and resources that can help you with your writing. But today she's joining me to share some of the issues and ideas that she comes across from some of her writing students. Hello, Nat. Hello, Valerie.
1: How Very are you? To be here. Oh, I'm great. How are you?
0: So what have you been writing lately?
1: Uh, At the moment, I'm editing a YA novel called Just Harry, which is very exciting. Uh, I'm hoping to finish my final edits on that in the next probably four weeks.
0: You're one busy person because not only do you write, you also act, you sing, you you host events. You're a very busy person. But today, you're going to be talking to us about certain issues to do with writing. What is it that you've come up with this week?
1: Uh, Cool. So this week, uh, this actually came up from a question that was posed in our novel writing essentials course. Uh, And a student asked if it's okay to read while you're writing. Uh, Now, Valerie, what do you think the answer is to that? Should you read while you're writing?
0: Do you mean read, I, I assume you mean read other books and novels exactly. while you're in the throes of writing your particular manuscript as opposed to <laughs> concurrently reading as you're trying to
1: type? <laughs> mm, that would be pretty tricky. You'd have to be pretty talented to do that. <laughs> yeah. So I think people get worried that um, that if they read books while they're writing that they're going to get influenced by whatever it is that they're reading. Uh, and mm. I think it's a really valid concern. Particularly if it's the same genre. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but
0: it's a bit different if you're reading crime but you're writing romance or something because maybe you're using crime as an escape.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's actually a really, really good answer to the question um, because I think it can really happen that you start to copy whatever it is that you're reading and that's really, really, really normal. Like we all do that. If you, you know, if you if you meet a new friend, sometimes you start to mimic how they speak mm. uh, and so that can totally happen with your writing. So if you do find that you're starting to copy whatever it is that you're reading, uh, you could switch, for example, to nonfiction or just read a completely different genre. As you say, you know, if you're writing romance, read some crime fiction, you know, catch up on some Stephen King or something, something really, really different because that also might spark ideas anyway. Um, Yes,
0: that's right. Instead of thinking, oh, it could actually be detrimental, think that, you know, I could get inspiration from
1: it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because inspiration comes from everywhere, as we know. Always be filling your creative cup. Um, so, yeah, so actually uh, I think Pamela recommends reading something like Agatha Christie or someone like that, someone who's really kind of um, almost like a palate cleanser, someone who's not going to affect your own <laughs> tone or style. For me, as you know, Valerie, it's Anthony Trollope. He's my man. Uh, yes, you're
0: a bit obsessed with Anthony Trollope, aren't you?
1: You're you're part of the What Society the Anthony Trollope Society.
0: <laughs> the Anthony Trollope Society. And they have these strange events that you go and follow in his footsteps or something. What's the thing that you went to not that long ago?
1: It was in Prague. Um, and yeah, we went to the, which was where Nina Balatka, one of his stories is set. So we went there and, and just walked around Prague. Yeah, it was it was a nice way to spend a week.
0: But what do you do? You just kind of go worship at the places that he set his stuff or what, what is it? I don't yeah. understand.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like we went we went on a tour and we saw the places where various um, yeah, scenes of the of the novel were set. And then we actually, one evening we had a reading where we actually read out that someone had um, written a play based on the novel. So we actually sat around and we did a reading of it. And then we went out for nice dinners and yeah, we just talked about Anthony Trollope for a week because we're all just what? big nerds. What was the typical yeah demographic of the
0: members of the Anthony Trollope Appreciation Society? Uh,
1: I was definitely the youngest person there by a solid margin. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of older people, but also people who have the time to you know take a couple of days off and go to Prague for a <laughs> tour.
0: So yeah. All right, all right. So um, what are you reading at the moment?
1: Oh, I've just started reading um a book by Jan Morris. what's it called? It's called Contact. Uh, And it's just a collection of her. um, So Jan Morris is a very well-known travel writer. And she wrote um, kind of memoirs about um, uh, Trieste and Venice. Uh, I think there's one about Sydney as well. Uh, But this one is her first one about people. So yeah, it's kind of a series of vignettes. It's very cool.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for visiting us this week. And I hope that you'll come back in the future.
1: Oh, I hope so too, Valerie. See you, Nat. Bye.
0: All right, let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of the new Lee Sales book for you to give away. So it's called Storytellers, Questions, Answers and the Craft of Journalism by none other than Lee Sales. We're surrounded by news stories on a daily basis, um, news and features, but have you ever thought about how the news gets made or maybe considered becoming a journalist yourself? In this week's giveaway, journalist and podcaster Lee Sales takes us behind the scenes of the industry in her book, Storytellers: Questions, Answers, and the Craft of Journalism. Here's the blurb. Lee Sales is one of Australia's most accomplished journalists, having anchored the ABC's flagship 7:30 program for 12 years. She's been a foreign correspondent, hosted Late Line, and anchored numerous elections for the ABC. In this book, she turns her interviewing skills onto her own profession, those usually asking the questions, the journalists. In 10 sections, from news reporting to editing via investigative commentary and, of course, interviewing, Lee Sales takes us on a tour of the profession, letting the leaders in their field talk direct to us about how they get their leads, survive in war zones, write a profile, tell a story with the pictures and keep the show on the road. A who's who of Australian journalism, including Lisa Miller, Kate McClement, Hedley Thomas, Trent Dalton, Benjamin Law, Tracy Grimshaw, Richard Feidler, David Spears, Stan Grant, Nikki Sava, Waleed Ali, Annabelle Crabb, Carl Stefanovic and Mia Friedman talk candidly about their greatest lessons and their trade secrets. A fascinating insight into a vital and much misunderstood profession, Storytellers is a book for anyone who's ever wanted to be a journalist or even just wondered how the news gets made. Now, to win one of three copies of Storytellers, go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 2nd of October. So that's writercentre.com.au slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are, because the word of the week this week is encomium. Encomium. That's E-N for Nelly, C-O-M for Mary, I-U-M for Mary. Encomium. What does it mean? Well, it's a noun, and it's actually a formal expression of praise. For example... For his delicious pastries, the Grant Street baker had received an encomium from the king himself. <laughs> I don't know if any of you out there have ever received an encomium, but, yeah, it's a word. There you go. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash writing. Let's move on to our Writer in Residence this week. Sophie Green is an author and publisher who lives in Sydney. She has written several fiction and non-fiction books, some under other names. Her latest is Weekends with the Sunshine Gardening Society. She is also the author of the inaugural meeting of the Fairvale Ladies Book Club, very long title, the Shelley Bay Ladies Swimming Circle, Thursdays at Orange Blossom House and the Belved River Country Choir, all of which were top 10 bestsellers. So thank you so much for joining us today, Sophie. It's a pleasure, Valerie. I have so much to chat to you about. Firstly, congratulations on your latest novel, Weekends with the Sunshine Gardening Society, which I absolutely loved. For those people who haven't got a copy yet, can you tell us what it's about?
2: Uh, well, it is set on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland in and around Noosa Heads. starts in 1987. It is about uh, four women, well, there are four main characters who eventually all become members of the Sunshine Garden Society, which is fictional, but when I put it in the proposal to my publisher and wrote a potted history of the Sunshine Gardening Society, she asked me how I came to find out about the Sunshine Garden Society, and I had to point out the word... Fictional, in a proposal, fictional society. So um, the fictional society was founded in the 1950s by a group of women who wanted to help people in the area who needed assistance looking after gardens, and gardens can take a lot of work. They also do some work for the council. And so we have, uh, so the main characters in this story, we start with Cynthia, who has just moved back from Los Angeles for her 19-year-old daughter Odette, who is pregnant with her first child. Cynthia has a former best friend called Lorraine with whom she hopes to reconnect. They end up joining the Sunshine Gardening Society where they meet Sherl and Barb, who are secondary characters, but fairly prominent. We also have Elizabeth, who's a young widow living in Noosaville with her son, Charlie, and Kathy, who is right. from Melbourne. And she's arrived on the Sunshine Coast heartbroken after a failed romance And not quite sure what she wants to do next. So uh, for her, joining the society provides an opportunity to get some direction, I think. So where did this idea come from? Do you... You don't live in Noosa and do you <laughs> like gardening? <laughs> well, I, I do write fiction, so I don't have to write about my life because um, I often get asked this actually. People say, oh, yeah, but you don't do these things. Like, well, I'm not because I'm not writing memoir. I can do some research around things. So I don't live in Noosa, but I have spent a lot of my time in Noosa. So I first visited Noosa when I was eight months old. And been going back since I was a child, since from childhood, my parents would take me and my brother up the New England highway uh, every year around Easter time. And my poor brother would stare out the window the entire time. And I would read books in the back of the car. Um, And so we would spend two weeks there every year. And I've been going back as an adult. I've been three times this year already. Two of those were for for this book, but um, I was there earlier this year. So I know the area really well. I've seen it change a lot, but I remember what it was like in the 80s when things were starting to change quite a bit. And that's one of the reasons why I set the book in that time frame. And then gardening part of it, I actually I was doing it this morning. I'm a bush care volunteer. So um, so I volunteer in my local council area to uh, basically remove weeds. It's a big part of our job. And once we've removed enough weeds, we can put some native plants in and encourage uh, encourage native ground cover, native trees, and that helps to bring birds and insects back to areas where there has been um, not so many small birds. In particular, we're trying to encourage at the moment. So the story of the Noosa Sunshine Coast area and uh, ecological activism is a, there's a there is a rich history there. And Nancy Cato, the novelist, was actually an instrumental part of environmental activism in the Sunshine Coast area, particularly around Noosa Heads. And as I discovered when I did start looking online at some out-of-print books, which I've now got in my possession, there were quite a few people who self-published histories of, uh, well, books of flora and did line drawings and all sorts of things. i really passionate about, about the area. And uh, I didn't know that before I chose it, before I chose the Sunshine Coast as the setting. So it just seemed like... Fate had, in, or kismet had intervened, uh, and and made me choose that area. So,
0: but what made you think
2: of the idea for this book? That was actually came out of a conversation with um, my publisher. So, because I write a book a year, that is a fairly stiff stiff pace to keep, and I do have plenty of ideas for books. Some of them aren't right immediately. Um, the one I've just finished writing for next year, I actually started about five years ago, and it wasn't right for a very long time. And so that was a discussion. I actually put that idea to them um, for this year's book, and we decided it wasn't right. And then we were talking about what I would do next. And uh, my publisher actually said, What about gardening? And I thought, okay, well, I like, I keep pot plants alive for years. I think I can Mm -hmm. give that a go. So, so, and that is often the way that when you're writing commercial fiction, at the pace I'm writing it, uh, it's it's not always going to be that i I have the right idea at the right time. It will sometimes be that um that I need a bit of collaboration. and uh, it's one of the benefits of having a publisher um, having had the same publisher for quite a while. How and would you describe the genre of your books? Commercial women's fiction. Yeah
0: yeah. And so you have these four characters that you have um uh, that you've developed how much thought had you put into each of the characters? Because they are very distinctive mm. and they are very recognisable and they're all, you know, different from each other. Mm. Um, do you discover your writers as they emerge on the page or do you, you know, think about them and actually really get to know them quite well before you start your story? So
2: um, so the process is once I know how I'm bringing my characters together, where the novel's set and what year it is. I sit very quietly and ask whoever is around at that time who would like their story told to show up. And in the case of this particular novel, though, I had two characters who had, their, had separate storylines that I created for them at various times. Cynthia, who has the first chapter. The first chapter goes to the first character who comes to me. I had written an outline for a story to do with Cynthia her ex-husband, Pat, her daughter, Odette, and her childhood piano teacher, Vaughn, who are all characters in this novel. And I'd written that about six or seven years ago. And she was living in Little Cove, which is where she lives in this novel. I just didn't quite know what to do with her at the time. And Elizabeth had a, had her own story. I actually, when I say um, that this idea came out of a conversation with my publisher, I had written a, a garden story for Elizabeth. It was called The Wildflower Garden. I'd written an outline for her, rather. And... I just couldn't figure out how to make that work the way I wanted it to. But but what often happens is when I write these ideas, I forget about, I forget exactly the details of them. So, so by the time the publisher suggested gardening, I had forgotten that I wrote the wildflower garden for Elizabeth. And then uh, I was looking through my, my folder of notes and ideas and things. And I just thought, Oh, Oh, I had this whole gardening thing going on for her and maybe she could be in this novel. And so she is picked up pretty much um, as she was in that original storyline. I wrote for her with her son and I uh, just put her in this one. and then uh, the others turn up as they need to turn up, including the secondary characters. And what I do before I start is a lot of planning because I have a full-time job and I write around the full-time job. I do not have time to sit and daydream when I'm because I write on public transport to and from work. most that's how most of the novel gets done. I do some at nights and some on the weekends, particularly when there's a deadline leaving, uh, but most of it's on public transport. So I need to plan a lot before I begin. And I, I now know that's the best way for me. Everyone is different. Fairvale, I didn't do a lot of planning, but as it turned out, only three chapters remain of the original manuscript in that one. And as time's gone on with each novel, I that happens less. So <laughs> I discard less or I do more discarding as I'm writing, I think is what actually happens. But I do a, a process called 12 Questions, which is from an American writer called Francesca Leah Block, who has a book called The Thorn Necklace. And she has a list of 12 questions in that. So her book's part memoir, part writing technique. And I love her writing. She writes young adult magical realism. And I fell in love with her book, Wheatsy Bat, many years ago and have, have read pretty much everything she's written since. And she has written some nonfiction as well. Uh, so I do that 12 questions process for each character and that helps me get to know them. And I don't know them completely, but I know enough about them to then move on and do a different document, which is major plot points for them emotionally. So I don't do plot points in terms of this is going to happen and that's going to happen. It's like what is the arc of their journey here? Like what what emotions do I want to take them through? There may be some plot detail, but mainly it's what the what story do they have and how are they going to resolve it by the end? Then I will sometimes do a more detailed plot breakdown. And and in the case of Sunshine Garden Society, it was month by month. So I knew I was going to structure it according to months rather than seasons or years as i had done in the past. So I just wrote a document with all the months in, started to put some ideas into that for each month, knowing that will change. And then the master document is what I call the grid, which is, just because it's a shorthand term for it, but it's a it's a table in Microsoft Word. It's colour-coded according to character, so I can see the flow of point of view. So each character gets a different colour and then I will just start to populate that um, only about 10 to 15 chapters ahead. So before I begin writing the novel itself, I might plot the first 10 to 15 chapters, but they will not stay the same because once I start writing, things will change and then one of my 20 minute traffic transport sessions will be dedicated to actually just going back to that document and tweaking it as much as I can. And so I'll do a bit of that. So it's kind of like a, you know, four steps forward, one step back a bit, and then reworking some of the forward steps. Uh, And I keep doing that until I get to the end. And so with the novel I've just delivered, which will be next year's novel, I found myself writing, writing, writing. It's going, this is great. And then I looked at the green thought, ah, I haven't plotted the end (laughs) I'm getting close to the end so I need to stop and plot what happens all the way through to the end because I was getting so carried away with what I was doing um that I'd forgotten so yeah so I I, for me it doesn't work to plot too far ahead just because those characters will tell me Mm. what happens and it's part of the woo-woo process of fiction
0: yes so you're a plotter but only a plotter up to a certain point now when sophie was talking about months she's referring to it's divided into you know march 1987 and then april 1980 1987 and so on um you you write in third person in third close Mm-hmm. what am I saying close <laughs> <third person. laughs> um in third person but from a close point of view mm-hmm. right Lim- close limited point of view and so each of the ca- each of the chapters is from a different character's point of view now mm-hmm. when you are doing the grid though and mm-hmm. you color coding it I think this is really fascinating are you kind of go oh too much yellow here too much red stuck together yeah should I have a fairly even even spread of the colors.
2: Yeah, it, well, it's it's more to make sure that no one character is getting too much of of anything, and also, yeah, sometimes when they're depending on where they are, it's it's so that one character's not appearing too much because they appear in each other's chapters past a certain point. Yes. So so then I make notes in the grid. So if it's um, a Cynthia chapter and Lorraine's in it, then in the description of the chapter, Lorraine is in bold so that I know Lorraine's popping up there and then that that can tell me whether I do or do not need to have a Lorraine chapter next or if I do have a Lorraine chapter next, I just need to think about how things are flowing, just so it doesn't feel like it, it's all getting weighted. But having said that, at some points it, it needs to be. There's something happening to that character where, ev- where everything does need to shift towards them, but then we need to move it away and just make sure there's a bit of balance there. Otherwise, um, you know, it just becomes a different story. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting so you not only have the point of view character on your grid you have any other character that appears in that scene or chapter so that yeah you can balance mm. out the characters themselves okay now I am fascinated that this book is written by
2: public on public transport <laughs> and most okay. of mine have been apart from the ones that were written during lockdown <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask how long is your commute so Wait that minutes. we get
0: each way so you're writing for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon. Yeah. Basically. And that's and about how many hours in during the week apart from those times? Um,
2: Probably. Well, so, well let's see. It depends what else I have on. Um, so it could be another couple of hours in the week. But as I said, as I get towards the deadline, then I start to panic a little bit and I'll put some more <laughs> in. Um, I, I try not to to panic early in the process because panic's useless anyway. Um mm. but I try not to actually really stuff the hours in early in the process because I want to give the story some room to breathe. So I I need to let my imagination work. And I think part of the benefit of having the writing happen at, at either end of the day is that during the day those characters are parked in the back of my brain mm. and they're just like it's a little coven going on back there and <laughs> and so they're talking to each other and and things happen it's just the brain needs to lie fallow a little bit not that my day job is letting it lie fallow but i just need to give my brain a rest from from a- actively and hard thinking about uh, those particular characters and their story so it's just good to have a break leave it so i do, i try not to like i said really stack up the hours at the start of the process i know that i will need to towards the end of the process because that's just the way it goes and Every manuscript's different. For the one I've just written, I was not happy with how it was going at a certain point, and I just decided to throw a lot of it out and start again. And that meant going back to the grid, starting again. And every time I've done something like that, I optimistically keep the words in a separate document that I've cut, thinking, "Oh, I might use these again." I never have. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I think it just makes me feel better to put them in a document and think. Um, think maybe maybe I'll get back to them. Maybe they had some use after all. But the use they do have is that they got me to the point that I'm at now. So yeah. um, it, it's, just, it's just the way it goes. Um, you've got to sacrifice a few. I've sacrificed hundreds of thousands of words to the Microsoft Word delete key over the course of writing all of these novels, but that's, that is just part of it. Um, yes. I don't get to the finished book without doing that. I
0: want to talk a little bit more about the character the characters or the development of the characters because that's such an important part of this book and your books generally when you um are developing your characters do you have anything like a mood board or a document a dossier anything that helps you um really picture what they look like or 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 where they live or their background and stuff like that
2: Not really, because I don't actually provide a lot of detail for each character in terms of what they look like or where they live, and that's very much on purpose, and that's because as a reader I get quite irritated by getting that much detail in a novel, Uh, because as soon as a character starts speaking in a book I'm reading, I form a picture of them. And then if suddenly 10 pages later or two chapters later the author's telling me that they actually look like that, it's like, but that's not who's in my head. So I will give just enough information that's pertinent Uh, maybe in terms of someone's recognising someone across the room or whatever it is, but I very rarely talk about height or body shape or unless it's, you know, the characters wanting to refer to something to do with their body shape or their height, hair colour, eye colour, not much of that happens at all. Same with their houses, same with their gardens, usually um, that sort of thing, so that the reader can just imagine them the way they'd like to. And uh, I've been doing that from the start and only... Actually, only one reader has ever remarked on it to me when I've seen it. But, but while that's anything. true,
0: while that's true, in a visual sense, your characters say things that are very much them. Your mm-hmm. characters make decisions that are very much, oh, that's what she would say or what mm-hmm. she would do or whatever. Yeah. So, do you are the these are their traits just formed in your head?
2: Yeah, well, that's that's where those planning documents come in. So when I'm doing that twelve questions. Uh, mm. Document. That's when I start to really get to know them, and I think about who they are. And they, and again, they tell me. And this is the, the weird process of writing fiction. Obviously, they are an invention of my brain, but it does feel to me like they come from somewhere else, and I don't know the full extent of who they are. And so I let them reveal themselves to me through the writing. That, that there's a lot that happens there too, and that's part of the back and forth of, of working on a manuscript. So the one that I've just written. A, a big part of the reason why I wasn't happy with how it was going was that the characters were revealing certain things to me about themselves as I was writing, that then made what I'd already done not true to them. So I just thought, well, I have to, I have to do something else there, or go back and completely revise all of that, because I've now found this out uh, about them. So even though I do all that planning, there is still room there for them to reveal themselves to me, and and I will be going through a redrafting process soon for that novel, and and. I will again need to fit some things into what I know now about those characters. So I do as much as I can in that planning process because I'm on a tight time frame. Mm-hmm. There's not as much time as there might be for someone who has five years <laughs> or ten years to write a novel. But that's that's the reality, and and um, and that's fine. That's a pace I chose. The publishers did not ask me to. I was originally on two book every two years. I was the one who elected to go a book a year. So. Um, yeah. It's, so it's let's talk, telling stories to the people. <laughs> let's talk about the fact
0: that you do have a day job. Um, for people
2: who don't know what it is, what is it? I am a publisher of nonfiction books at Ashet Australia, and I've been working in books and publishing uh, pretty much since I left, well, since I left school, because while I was at university, I was a bookseller. So I've been a bookseller, an editor, literary agent. Um, I also run a country music website as a hobby, and I am an interviewer and writer there, and... Uh, so, I've worked in, in web stuff a few years ago, including at the Seven Network um, and around Home and Away, which is where I learnt a lot about storytelling. <laughs> You're busy.
0: <laughs> um, I like it. What that way. <laughs> was, so, you look at nonfiction yes. at uh, Hachette, your publisher of nonfiction. What was the trigger that made you
2: decide, I'm going to write fiction now? Well, actually, um, I wrote a few romance novels under a different name um, a while ago, and that was more of a challenge to myself to see if I could do it. Because by then I had ghost written some nonfiction, and I thought, uh, thought oh, you know, I, I really like reading romance, maybe I'll try writing romance. What actually tipped me over into Fairvale, which was the first of these sorts of novels, was writing two home and away novels, uh, and that was as part of my day job <laughs> because well, Ashet and Seven were talking about doing some official home and away novels. And I said, well, I used to be the home and away website producer and I know the show really well and I love it. And yeah, so that was the why it was decided that I would do it. And, um, that's, yeah, that's, that started it. So from that point, um, I was thinking about writing those sorts of stories and then Fairvale came about because I was sitting in a bus from Catherine to Darwin. I had gone to Catherine as part of my job And I just let my imagination start to run. It was driving into the setting sun. If anyone's been to that part of the Northern Territory, they'll know how the light changes things. And different worlds emerge, different colours emerge, and I just started to think about a story. And when I got back to Sydney, I had the beginnings of Fairvale, so...
0: How awesome. <laughs> um, and so when you're reading nonfiction all day, um, do you have any
2: particular types of things that you love reading in terms of nonfiction? Uh, as a, for my own recreation, I read all sorts of nonfiction. I read ancient history. I read true crime. I read memoir. Um, I'll read some current affairs, some sociology, sports biographies cause I'm a mad keen tennis person. Uh, so, um, so this morning was very exciting for me cause it was the U S open women's final. Um, but, uh, so I, uh, anything that that's a subject of interest or has a great story in it. And as a publisher, that's also what I'm looking for. And so I publish a variety of things that, might be narrative. Some of them are science or health or things like that. So they're not necessarily narrative, but if it's a compelling subject and I think there's a readership for it, then, then that's, that's the winning combination for me. You
0: you obviously have a very clear understanding and appreciation of fiction as well. Have you thought of moving your day job to fiction?
2: <laughs> uh, look, even if I wanted to, I don't think um, there's a job for me to do that. Um, so uh, no, I really, lo- I love publishing nonfiction. Nonfiction publishing is actually really creative because as a as a nonfiction publisher, I can start with an idea and make a book out of that. And that, so that's something I can generate. I can think, all right, I think we need a book on this and then I can take that project and and then you know a year or whatever later there will be a book and, and that's really rewarding. Uh often if I'm receiving material from other people, it's it's not a complete manuscript in nonfiction. Quite often we're we're only getting an outline or some sample chapters or both. And so I have to envisage what that final book is, and I have to be able to talk to the author about that. And once the manuscript comes in, I need to work with them to make sure that we're both happy with how that book's turned out. So, um, yeah, so I, in many ways it is, I'm not going to say the most creative form of publishing because some fiction and children's publishers may have other ideas, but, uh, but for me, it's, it's a really creative form of publishing. So I really enjoy that.
0: I'm still, um, before we wrap up, I'm still confounded. I mean, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic that you write a book a year yeah. while you have a full-time job and run all of these other personal <laughs> projects as well like your country music
2: website on your commute <laughs> <laughs> well the country the country music actually is what happens at night so that's why I, so that's why I'm not often writing fiction at night because I do my interviewing at night and I and I write my do all my posts and video editing and stuff at night. So oh yeah. my
0: God how do you fit in in like
2: I don't watch a lot of TV. That's the key.
0: <laughs> okay. Um do you Get really annoyed if you don't get a seat on the bus.
2: Oh no, I'm on the I'm on a ferry. I should say, oh. so the ferry makes it a lot easier. So there are always seats on the ferry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. And finally, um, let's end with what are your top three writing tips <clears throat> for people who would like to be writing
2: fiction one day? Uh, just start. Is often the best one. Um, just start because you're not going to know unless you just start and you can do all the thinking in the world about what it's going to be like and what you, you may may write, but you need to start. The next one is get out of your own way. Um, and that's related to the just start, I guess, because we can put a lot of impediments in our way. And, and again, it's like, oh, what's it going to be like? Or I need this particular writing spot, or I need to do XYZ <laughs> before I begin, I need to put on a load of washing get out of your own way. And then the third one is get over yourself. And that is partly, you know, don't think you're more special than anyone else for writing fiction. Don't think you're less special than anyone else for wanting to write fiction. And I think that's an important point is that it's very easy to get sucked into the whole, oh, well, I'm not good enough. Who am I to do this? Who is anyone to do it? Who am I to do it? So it's like, get over it, get on with it. Find out what happens. You may also discover in the course of doing it that fiction writing is actually not your best form of creative expression. You might be a songwriter, you might be a screenwriter, you might be a painter, could be something else, but you won't know unless you start to back to the first point. Just start.
0: Love it. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Sophie. Pleasure, Mallory. Big thanks to Sophie Green, because not only did she come on the show today, she also recently spent time with our students in our Write Your Novel and Edit Your Novel programs. Part of the program is a series of industry author events where they get the chance to chat to authors and publishers to find out more about what it's really like in the writing and publishing industry. So big thanks to Sophie for answering all of their wonderful questions. All right, we've now come to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I'd love to see you in our Facebook group. It's free to join and it's a great place to connect with me but also with other writers. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community on Facebook, and request to join. Love to see you in there. Lots of things happening in there, some great conversations. And also feel free to connect with me on social media. Uh, I'm at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to peek into my other life, then you can go to ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time.